In this modern world, you have organizations that are so good at capturing and facilitating and delivering this very unique, like personalized experience that level of personalization has spoiled everybody. And now they expect that from every organization that they engage with. And so like we can all decry Amazon and and complain about it. But the reality is, is like every B2B customer you're working with, like is a consumer and works with kick-ass consumer brands that deliver incredible customer experiences. And the closer you can get to delivering something similar, the more likely they are to want to actually work with you. Welcome to the Distributed Truth Podcast. Today's B2B SaaS teams all share one thing in common, fragmented customer data. Marketing, sales, customer success, finance, and product teams need better approaches to unified customer data. What does it look like to be data-driven rather than data-inhibited? What is the link between investing in unified customer data and revenue growth? How can we create consistent customer experiences through unified customer data? Join us here at the Distributed Truth Podcast as we interview a wide array of go-to-market revenue operations, technology, and data leaders, all dedicated to solving the problem of fragmented customer data. Hello and welcome to the Distributed Truth Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Evan Dunn, and I'm here with Connor Jeffers of Aptitude 8. Connor, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Sad to be here. Connor is founder of uh, and CEO of Aptitude 8 and Happily. Happily has a great story of why it's named so happily. Uh, Connie, you want to share that with us and also share, you know, how you came to be founder of Aptitude 8 and what Aptitude 8 stands for? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll do those in reverse order because it, it works a little bit better. Uh, so Aptitude Eight is a, uh, a HubSpot technical consulting firm. We uh, we implement, integrate, and optimize the HubSpot platform, uh, and so we do that all on the services side. Uh, and then Happily, uh, which is now a, a HubSpot Ventures portfolio company, um, is a App Studio that builds apps on top of HubSpot. Uh, and so think about sort of like Aptitude 8 as this one-to-one, let's solve a problem with services that are custom tailored for a specific customer for their particular solution. And how do we build that on top of HubSpot? Uh, and then Happily is kind of this, this one-to-many of how can we sort of solve uh, any sorts of problems or gaps or different solutions people are trying to do with HubSpot uh, and build apps that help them do that. So we have really lightweight stuff. Um like Clone Attack, which is sort of a record cloning tool. Uh, we have Associate, which is kind of a VLOOKUP type of functionality. And then we have big apps like Zebra, which is kind of like take your whole Stripe data model, replicate it in HubSpot, bidirectionally sync all your data back and forth and do all sorts of cool stuff uh, in that way. But uh, mostly I just I build stuff on top of HubSpot and uh, build companies that build stuff on top of HubSpot. And soon you'll build companies that build companies that build on top of HubSpot. <laughs> That's using, the dream, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just getting AI. more layers removed yeah, exactly. from the machine, right? Yeah. Can AI replace you, Connor? This is what I'm asking everyone these oh, days. I hope so, man. I'm tired. It'd be great. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, we'll appreciate you joining. And, and we're here to talk about uh, what we mean when we talk about the customer data layer or customer data strategy. I know you have a perspective on this, given your experience with B2B go-to-market scenarios and typically how they're supported with the data. So so tell us, um, what's the... The number one things, a couple of things you think people should know uh, if they're in an ops role, right? Uh, and they're working with HubSpot or otherwise, right? Uh, and, and realizing they have a lot of issues related to data quality, data cleansing, data architecture, data modeling. How should they um, get started solving such a thing? I know it's a big question, but sure, sure. think where you want. 
Yeah. Uh, so I, I think in our experience, right. So we do a lot of HubSpot stuff, but we, we very almost never is HubSpot like the only tool that exists, uh, and the only place that there's data. Uh, and I think that we see it a lot, whether it's the simple versions and you sort of say, Hey, we're using HubSpot for all CRM and marketing and service and whatever, but, uh, we have all of our finance data and that's in our ERP or our NetSuite platform or wherever it might sort of exist. Uh, if you are a product organization, uh, you have a data warehouse and that has all sorts of data about your product usage and, uh, your utilization and where you're sort of running all of your product analytics out of. Uh, and then you have organizations that are using sort of a handful of different tools. And so prior to sort of A8 being fully kind of HubSpot focused, this is where we kind of seen a ton of demand. Um, we used to do a ton of work with Salesforce, HubSpot, Outreach, Sales Loss, or all these tools in the go to market stack. Uh, and the number one problem for GTM teams in general is I have data that is in a system or a tool or a place, and I would like it in another system or tool or place so that I can report on it, so that I can segment my data by it, and so that I can automate off of that data. Uh, and that problem is universal and pervasive, and people try to solve it in all sorts of wild and crazy ways. Uh, and the thing that makes us really excited about some of the ways that you guys think about stuff is that uh, kind of this layer of not just how do we sort of build a connector that's, oh, we're an ERP plus CRM connector and like we're going to solve that problem. And eventually what we see organizations do is like you have all these systems, and you have all these tools, you have all these point integrations that connect to all these places uh, or you're really sophisticated and you set up a data warehouse and you set up ETL tools and you set up reverse ETLs. And now you have a team whose job is to just like manage and orchestrate that whole giant monstrosity uh, plus expertise across all of the point solutions. And so being able to kind of aggregate that up and say, what if all of those things were one thing uh, I, I think is a really novel insight. Hmm. Hmm. So you can do my marketing for me. It sounds like <laughs> you, I want to, I want to capture something kind of, you said the number one problem for GTM teams is basically hand, how to handle this data layer across your go to market stack. And it's universal and persuasive. Did I, did I hear that? That's the number one yeah. problem you see. We did uh, to give it even, even more credence. I have to go check that this is right. Uh, but we did, we originally did like a big total cost of ownership, uh, analysis thing for Salesforce for HubSpot and like comparing CRM platforms, uh, which is like aptitude.com slash TCO to, to plug it. But actually, cause I'm going there right now to try to figure out <laughs> if what I'm about to tell you is true. Uh, but I'm pretty sure from, from all the research that we did, uh, the number one CRM pain is also on data and data migration and data trust is like the core thing that people care about. Uh, yeah. So implement no, I've, number one implementation challenge. So when people think about CRM technology implementation challenge, uh, data migration is number one. Um, and I think the core of data migration is like diet migrating data is hard, like sure. True. But like also not like you export it, you import it. The problem is normalizing it, transforming it, making it useful in the new system. And usually where it's coming from, is it's like dirty and unstructured and like, that's the problem. And so I think that if yeah. that that's the root cause of all of these, these issues mm -hmm. and all of this pain, uh, then I think that I would, I would agree that it's, it's the number one. Concern. Yeah. I wonder too, right? Like even for smaller organizations, one thing I've noticed is everyone's got one, but more likely five data vendors, data enrichment vendors, third party vendors for, for in contact and account information. That's, sh you know, throwing stuff into your, you CRM. So the moment you think about moving systems, integrating systems, you're not a small data set, right? Yeah. Well, you're not, you're not a huge data set from what, like a warehouse 
data engineer type person would think, but you are a complex data set with tons of columns with different names, redundant fields. You know, we just heard that, uh, you know, one company had uh, uh, 1000 fields on, on a record typically, you know, like you're, you're maxing out stuff. And that's now kind of common. Hundred plus fields is kind of common in smaller companies, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Have you had that, more than one person manage the system, like ever? Congratulations! You <laughs> yeah, probably yeah. have like tons of duplicated data that hasn't yeah. been normalized. Uh, and and I think like there is no GitHub for systems admin. Like, there's no pull request. There's no way to be like, oh, did like, mm. oh, we changed this to this field on this day, and here is why, and like we can normalize the reporting across it. Like, it's just. Oh yeah, that so used to be right, but it, it's not though. If it's before May, so you have to do it this way. And and I think every every GTM leader is like smash their head against the desk as the ops team's like, yeah. well, it's not. It's yeah, maybe not yeah. that simple. I think you just came up with a new product you need to build, right? And maybe it's AI powered. <laughs> oh GitHub God. for HubSpot. Yeah, it's a great, great product. Great product. Someone should build it who uh, is much more technically savvy uh, in that arena than I am, to be totally honest with you. But uh, I would love it. I'd be a user. Give me a, Let, give me a let's shot. Let's think through this, what you just said here. Yeah, it's interesting because um, when you describe, I feel like this is the, what's that blind man and the elephant story of uh, lots of people see different pieces of the elephant. Um, and it's hard to see the whole shape of the problem and why it happened this way. And I think that's, this is really important for data teams and data leaders and analytics leaders to understand is when you're pulling data out of all these systems, you know, you get frustrated at the data quality and you say, let's slap down a data contract and they have to adhere to it or we won't process the data. That's not going to solve anything. And then you make a great analytics model, right, for reporting, and you can make that stable and long term. As long as nothing changes in the source systems, right? This is why there's now observability products. I know we're getting kind of deep, but basically, how do you solve complexity at the source, a.k.a. the most important systems in your stack, which are the ones that face your customers, right? That's a huge question. I've talked to a couple of people, Connor, about um, the human element, right? Like, you know, process adherence and and limitations on fields. Uh, But you're very knowledgeable about both that, I'm sure, and and the way the systems communicate well or poorly, right? And which would you say is the bigger culprit if you had to pick one? Is it humans being bad at data entry and data adherence to a process? Or is it that the systems struggle to accommodate all these different integration pathways and and normalization needs across a five plus tool stack. Yeah, I, I'd almost even throw a third one in there too, mm, uh, which perfect. is that like it, it's the process design and like how is that data generated, right? You're like, oh, we have these fields and I'm going to throw them in front of somebody and they're going to have to fill them out. And you're like, yeah, but if you're the last step for the AE to hit closed one, and the contract is signed and they're just trying to get it through. Like how many fields before they're just like, what can I put in here to get hit the next screen so that I can move on with my day uh, and keep going. And I think that both of those kind of compound. And then I think similarly, kind of what you just said of like, it's not just does, do I have a mapping from one system to the next? It's does the way that we represent information in this system exist in this other system in a way that like, 
you can just send it over. Uh, and I think it's one of those things that's really challenging. And I think that a really good example, uh, to, to like track with that is like Salesforce is this tool that has really powerful reporting functionality, but reporting on things over time is like really, really hard. Uh, it's easy if you just have a simple date field, but if you're just like, well, how many records in our system had this, this field or this thing filled out over time? is like really challenging to do inside of Salesforce unless you're doing lots of like snapshot type reporting. And that's always something I think that when you're working with folks that are trying to manage stuff on, on the Salesforce side, they, they struggle with like, I don't understand why this is hard because I've worked in X, Y, or Z and like they do that really, really well. And I think every system has its nuances. And uh, if it was as easy as just like pointing a field at another field, um, a lot of our woes would probably not be there. Yeah, let's let's unpack that one level because that's super true that CRMs are designed for contemporaneous usage. In other words, point in time. Yeah, exactly. Therefore, operational data stuff you need to use now. So it's to be a system of record for the present. Now, this is why a data store is vital, whether that's a warehouse or in Syncery or some other solution. You have to snapshot records to understand where they were in the past, right? And this becomes really important if you're ever going to get acquired. It's really important every time you have a QBR. This is really important whenever you want to do historical analysis, basically. Yeah. Um, now, a couple other things you made me think of when you were talking about, like, is something in one system represented in the other system, right? We just put out a newsletter recently that was uh, pointing the finger at Salesforce's lead object, right? Something that's not in most other systems. But if you have a lot of leads and you haven't, you know, converted them to contacts, you have a serious problem on your hands from a reporting standpoint. Well, like Zendesk doesn't even have a company object. <laughs> they have contacts that you can mark whether or not they are a company or not. Right. Whereas HubSpot does HubSpot contact. used to not have they used to not have objects like the back end of the old the mm. legacy API docs in HubSpot. Everything is on the everything is a modified contact record like an OG. And they've they've now changed that. Like shout out to the, the product teams at HubSpot for like a lot of the like move to some of the object architecture. When did that change? Like uh, only in the last like 18 months ish, 12, 18 months. Uh, but it used to be like the old docs was just like this record is a con it's not a contact, but like you should interact with it at the API level, like it's a contact and then we'll just like, we'll change it in the UI. Uh, and, and I think the lead object is honestly a great example of something that was a feature that has become a bug, right? Like as the world has evolved from, it was really difficult to know what's my good data. Who are my good contacts? Like, are they from this company? Like data availability was just extremely low. Cause you were like, I went to a conference and I got this stack of business cards and like, let's put them as leads cause they might be garbage. And like, now you're like, I went to this conference and I scanned everyone's business card and I auto enriched it with this like data provider. So like, I know with absolute certainty everything about that person. And so I don't need this like lead repository uh, yeah. that I have to go access. I can just solve that problem automatically. I, I think one way to articulate for people to why the lead object was such a big mistake. And I would argue even back then, Connor, be, be, is because you still needed to know whether or not they worked at a company. Like, yeah, but someone, could have, but knowing that was hard. Like that to me is the yeah, whole point of the original true. lead object was like, but a here's this person. Card has info. Yeah. But, right. but like I business card, I get a list. I have like people wrote down on a piece of paper at my yeah. booth, like that they came to something and someone now needs to go enter all that information and be like, is That's this true. in our database? Let's convert it because we actually do have this contact. It's just that we were missing an email. So like we'll use the lead conversion yeah. process, which was like this, this manual dedupe mechanism, like 
original. They should have just made like a, a default account that was like a, there's no account. It's a different time. But, <laughs> yes. I know, but that's, but it's, it's amazing how much it costs the world, yeah. right? Like, you know, how much, cause, cause you know, to, to any Salesforce user right now, go in, into Salesforce and try to make a report of leads and contacts. <laughs> you can't, right? So you have to externalize to a warehouse or, you know, BI tool, right? Um, or there's, there's some ways to do cross object stuff now, but, but it's painful. Like you're doing, speaking of different fields anyways. So yeah, HubSpot comes along and I guess 18 months ago really solidifies the, the contact company, uh, approach, which is, that's just how the world works for B2B. Right. Um, and really there's a story here that business model matters for your data model. In other words, yeah. you know, if you're B2B, you need to know companies. And if you're B2C, you don't necessarily, though it, you could argue there's a concept of a household that B2C companies are now trying to aggregate to, particularly if you're in media, entertainment, even CPG, right? They do this with tons of data work on the back end and CRMs struggle to keep up with these needs, right? Um, let's pivot a little bit though, Connor, because this is super fun. But uh, you come into companies all the time and you evaluate their stack and their needs, right? What are, what are some of the first things you look at uh, in order to articulate, like to diagnose what are the biggest problems in a, a B2B SaaS companies, let's say, um, sure. go to market. Where do you go? What do you look for? Yeah. 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 So we, we do uh, kind of like what we call our RevOps audit process, which is um, we, we like to start like get a really robust current state. Uh, so that means go and track. And we usually start at like, what's the front end of that customer journey? It's the first piece of information that you ever capture uh, about anyone you interact with. And then let's map that all the way through all the steps that go into your process. Um, and we kind of do that from both a a systems, a process and a people perspective. And so how does the data move through the system? And then often actually going and interviewing the folks that are, are using that machine. Cause often you'll hear sort of like the executive be like, Oh yeah, like this comes in and maps in this way. And then we sync it over there and it's, it's just a report and it's fine. And you go sit down to an SDR and they're like, yeah, I, I put everything in this Google sheet. Cause like I can't get the CRM to work. And so I run everything out of this. And then when I'm done, I email this over to Kathy and finance and then she goes and sends it to this next person. And so you kind of like unpack that whole journey of what all of that looks like. And we sort of put all that together in a big lucid chart um, that we call that current state map. And then we take that current state map and we sort of look at it and start to flag against it. Where are the gaps in that overall process? Where are the things that fall apart? Where are the things that uh, there's process mismatching? There's there's data loss, there's data recapture. And I think all of those points sort of create friction that causes pain for the customer, uh, which is ultimately when we think about kind of the RevOps process and what it's designed for is improving and, and facilitating that end customer experience, how they interact with all the customer facing teams in an organization. And so all all of those individual friction points sort of aggregate up to say, which one of these causes the most pain? And is it because someone has to repeat themselves to multiple different people? Somebody has to kind of get rebounced around and they have this constant knowledge transfer. Uh, and, and I think in this modern world, you have organizations that are so good at capturing and facilitating and delivering this very unique, like personalized experience that that level of personalization has spoiled everybody. And now they expect that from every organization that they engage with. And so like, you know, we can all, all, uh, 
decry Amazon and, and complain about it. But the reality is, is like every B2B customer you're working with, like is a consumer and works with kick-ass consumer brands that deliver incredible customer experiences. And uh, the closer you can get to delivering something similar, the more likely they are going to want to actually work with you. That's a great point. What, what do you think is the minimum viable uh, sort of mimicry of that consumer customer experience that B2B companies, even at you know, 10 people, 50 people, thousand people need to prioritize. Yeah. I think, I think the biggest thing is like single, single view of the customer and getting that in front of your go-to-market teams. Uh, if your go-to-market teams do not know when a VIP customer is spending a bunch of money and is in an open sales process with you, is like calling because an order's late there, you're going to, you're going to let them down, uh, and they're going to get frustrated with you. And similarly, I think nothing's worse than when you are a customer and you're trying to engage with somebody and they like call in and they're like, okay, what's this ID number? What are you talking to me about? What's going on? Like think about like just basic phone support level experience of you contacting a business and saying, Hey, I'm, I'm reaching out. I have a problem with my order. And they're like, Oh, cool. Is it this order? And it's like, Oh yeah, that does look like it's late. Let me go and like check in. Here's what we're going to do. I went and took care of that for you. You're all set. That experience like is not a training thing. Like it, it fundamentally, like the person who is facilitating and interacting with you has that information in front of them. And that experience rolls all the way over to every team in your organization. And if they do not have a full view of who that customer is and what that customer needs and why they're interacting with them and being able to respond to that before to asking the customer, like, can you tell me everything about what's going on in your life and everything that we ever should know about you? And they're like, Oh my God, like for real. Like, and then God forbid you get transferred. And then the next mm. person you talk to is like, who are you? Uh, yeah. And that experience I think is endemic. It gets hyper localized in like consumer driven phone calls, but like that's the normal B2B experience. Like you come in, mm. you talk to somebody who has no concept of what are you shopping for? What are you looking for? What content have you engaged with? Like what, why are you interested in our, in us at all? And then after that, you get done with that person, you get moved to somebody else who's like, okay, cool. Now I'm going to sell you. And like, I'm going to re-ask you everything. And then once you finish with that person, they transfer you over to like some implementation person. And they're like, what do you want to do? How do you want it to work? Like, what is it supposed to do? And that's really is, frustrating. Yeah. No. I, and I see a lot of companies use Slack as sort of a bandaid. Well, if we have a Slack channel with a customer, then you can just ask somebody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is, that's a hack if ever there was a hack, right? And that's important what you talked about. This is not a people problem. This is not a training problem. This is not a process problem. Systems. This is a systems, systems and data issue. problem. Yeah. And, you know, often, Connor, we will ask like, hey, ops experts, right? Give us your, your most common three system, um, use cases for data or automations, right? And I think you actually just named a really common one, which is uh, supporting existing customers is, if, if you're a SaaS company, supporting existing customers is your CS tool, which often companies have multiple, but let's say it's just Zendesk, right? It's your CRM, HubSpot. It's your product usage information being synced in, right? So they know what happened in the product when they send you a ticket that logs in Zendesk and you want that account manager visible to the CS rep so that all at once you have a coordinated response, right? To, to your point. And most companies don't have that. Would you agree? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, Connor, one last question uh, before we wrap up here. Um, the, you, you know, we talked about how the data layer behind the go-to-market stack uh, just being in shambles, 
is kind of like the biggest problem you see. Like what, what can companies do? Let's say you're, you've got some resources. So you're like a 100 to 1000 person, kind of like growing mid-market, you, you know, SaaS companies, which are the ones really struggling with the current market. Thanks SVB. Right. Um, what, can they do to take control of this layer and and deploy good practices, good resourcing teams, tech to deliver a better experience? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the biggest thing I think is to define who owns that data set. I think that's the biggest gap in these organizations. And I think that that's why you're seeing this rise in RevOps and the RevOps function and RevOps teams and RevOps service providers is like, there's really nobody who owns that piece. And so I think you need to really centralize who owns the business process that manifests all of that data set and like who's responsible for it in your organization. Uh, Then you need to define, okay, if they own the business process, then that means that they're responsible for that data component. Uh, And then that means that they're also responsible for the tooling that we have that supports the the process and the data component that underlies it. And so I think that all sits in, in kind of your RevOps function. And what you have to make sure of is that that encompasses all of those customer facing teams. So they need to be taking on sales process, marketing process, service process, CS process. Like how do you aggregate all of that in? Uh, and if you have a team whose responsibility is to own all of that data, what you're going to get is somebody you can look to, to be like, Hey, can you, let's go like wrangle and fix this problem? Because ultimately those silos that are throughout the organization that you kind of run into they're organizational silos. And then you compound it with the difficulty of centralizing and managing and and implementing the systems infrastructure and it, it becomes an impossible problem. And so I think really step one is to say, we need to have a RevOps function and we need to give them the ability to own this problem. And then we need to give them the the resources and the tooling and the support in order to actually make it happen. Beautifully put. Rise of RevOps, uh, the problem of the data layer, and the reason you should go talk to Connor Jeffers and his team at <laughs> Aptitude 8 slash Happily. Uh, you told me earlier that Happily, you named it that because HubSpot API is... Yeah. So anyone who happy. builds or develops on, on HubSpot is familiar with the happy keys. Uh, and so all of the, all of the apps are, are built happily, uh, which is, which is a fun, a fun tongue, tongue in cheek reference adorable. for anyone in the know. It's good. Know. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's got good well, branding. Man. It's, it's happily, it's one P happily.com. If you use HubSpot, we have cool HubSpot apps. Uh, if, if you use HubSpot and you need help, or if you're HubSpot curious, uh, give aptitude a shout. We'd be happy to help. Love it. Thank you, Connor. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Distributed Truth Podcast. Check out our other episodes or visit Syncary.com to learn more about unified customer data. That's S-Y-N-C-A-R-I, Syncary.com. Thank you. Have a great day.